Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you that we can uh, study it, that we have it in our language, uh, that we have it in different versions that we can uh, look to, uh, to be able to uh, study it, read it. Uh, And Father, I pray as we do that, that we wouldn't study it just for it to be knowledge, uh, that we wouldn't read it just to mark something off of our, our list, but, Father, that we'd make it part of who we are. Um, we realize that that is when we are spirit-filled, that that can see its realization. Uh, so, Father, we ask it as we continue on, uh, as we take a look at the roles of uh, husbands this morning, that you would guide us, uh, that you would uh, show each and every uh, man here this morning uh, that uh, may be contemplating marriage, that uh, may uh, be married, that you would uh, work in their hearts in such a powerful way that they would undeniably see uh, that it is your spirit working uh, and the truth is transforming their mind, uh, their words, and their actions. And so, Father, we thank you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, open up to Ephesians chapter 5. Next week, I'll say open up to Ephesians chapter 6. Can you believe it? And we'll get through nine verses next Sunday. It's amazing. So uh, as we continue on, um, this section, as I entitled it, is Spirit-Filled Submission in Everyday Life. Uh, And as we took a look last time at the command to wives in relation to them submitting to their husbands as to the Lord, uh, seeing that command and realizing that the only way that that can take place so that there is a God-glorifying, God-honoring submission for them to see that they are submitting to the Lord uh, as they submit to their husbands, that it can only take place when they are spirit-filled. If uh, you are grieving the Holy Spirit, if you are quenching the Holy Spirit, it will make it very, very difficult, if not impossible, for you to submit uh, in a way that would glorify God. And so that was the charge last time to the the wives here and those that were considering marrying a husband. Uh, And today we pick it up in verse 25. Uh, And as we said before, you know, the wives are are shown first because of the order of things and how uh, God has shown that the one who is to uh, submit is Uh, The wife in relation to the marriage, its children in chapter 6 in relation to their parents, and its workers in relation to their employers in that last section there uh, leading up to verse 9 of chapter 6. And so uh, you'll notice that God had three verses for the ladies and a whole lot more for the guys. And I don't know if that's a commentary on men and their stubbornness. Um, Don't ask Michelle. Uh, she probably would tell you the truth, that sometimes we can be stubborn. Sometimes we as men, uh, as husbands, are not spirit-filled. And so the charge is here this morning as we look at the keys that God has given to the husbands in the marriage setting so that the marriage itself uh, will glorify God, that the marriage itself will be a picture of Christ and his love for the church, his bride. And so I'd like to begin right there at uh, the beginning of of chapter 25 with that very first section. It says, husbands, love your wives. Stop. So every husband here, every uh, young man that's considering getting married uh, or an older man that's looking to get remarried, 
take these words in. Husbands, love your wives. This is not a love like the world has. As a matter of fact, I even uh, had someone ask me this question a few weeks ago in relation to understanding uh, why in their English translation the word love is used you know, repeatedly but yet has different meanings to it in relation to its context uh, and the, the use of the word there. Well, that's because as we take a look at Greek uh, language, there's actually four words that they use to speak of love. Uh, and it's important for you to know which one Paul is speaking of here as he makes this charge, you know, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that you as spirit-filled men can love your wives. And so let me refresh your memory just a little bit because it's important. Otherwise, you may be seeking to love your wife in a way that is not what is called here in the text. Because there is the Greek word eros, which this is not the word that is here in the Greek text. This is a sexual love, uh, and it's driven by one's desires. Uh, it is not phileo love, uh, which is a brotherly love uh, that is driven by one's friendships or friendliness. It is not storge love, which is familial love, uh, a love that is driven by one's blood relations. Which leaves us with the very last one that is actually in the text here this morning. This is that word agape love. Uh, and the agape love is a willful love. Uh, it is driven by one's unconditional acceptance. So as you take a look at that phrase, husbands, love your wives. It is husbands, agape your wives. And agape uh, love involves faithfulness, commitment, uh, an act of the will. This is not just driven by emotions, which if you take a look at eros, that is sexual, again, driven by mainly emotions. Phileo, which is friendliness, which can come or go and is often driven by uh, emotions. Uh, storge, which is familial love, uh, which is also often driven by emotions. Does it mean that the mind does not engage, but when we look at agape love, the, lo the love that we are commanded as husbands to have for our wives, it is a love that is an act of the will. It is an act of the mind. Uh, and it is, you know, utilizes the emotions as well, but it's not based in the emotions. So uh, the reason why this is important, because it is loving even when one is not loved in return. Okay, let me say that again. Agape love is loving when, even when you are not loved in return. See, it doesn't change the command, just like with the wife in relation to submitting to her husband as unto the Lord. That submission is not based in whether or not that husband is a good leader, if that husband is himself submitting to the Lord. Uh, the command is, is, is standalone. Uh, and so when it sta states here that we are to love or agape love our wives, uh, we see that this is an act of a will which goes beyond just reciprocating love or just feeling like you should love your wife. This is an act of your will where you're saying, I choose to love my wife. Uh, and Paul you know, doesn't just leave it there because he adds the next word, as which brings us to this next section, which that as has a whole bunch of clarifiers as to what this agape love is 
like, what it is compared to, and therefore what the mark is or the litmus test in relation to men in loving their wives. So take a look there at verse 25 because it says there, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You can stop there. That's the, the first of, I didn't even count them here, one, two, three, four, five. Five things that he is going to use to clarify this love, to show the aspect of the faithfulness, the commitment, uh, the act of the will, loving even when love is not returned. So the first is, as Christ loved the church. You could even go to the extent of saying agape love is God's love because God loves unconditionally. And when you think about it, and we've looked at this earlier in the book of Ephesians, that, you know, what is there to love of someone who has shown their anger, that has shown their defiance, that has chosen willfully to break God's law, that there's none righteous, no, not one. There's no one who seeks after God. They've all gone astray. They've become worthless. So what is there to love other than God actually exercising love because God is love? Again, one of his attributes. So God is acting out of his nature, out of his character to love that which is unlovable. And this is the kind of love that the husband is commanded by God to do in relation to his wife. Husbands, agape love your wives. If you look back at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, this gives you a beautiful picture of what this love looks like. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, notice, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. So you'll notice that it's an act of God's mercy, an act of God's grace, in relation to a great love that he has, even when we were his enemies, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, separated from God himself because of our sin. That's when God showed his love through Christ for the church. And that's the very first call here at the top of this list of five. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So what does that mean in relation to husbands? Husbands, continually choose to unconditionally accept your wife by loving her. Not a sexual love, not a brotherly love, not a familial love, but an agape love, because that's what you're commanded to do, because it reflects Christ's love for the church. The second one is also there in verse 25. Uh, the second as uh, that we're given as an example as to how men are to, uh, or husbands, I should say, are to love their wives, uh, is there in verse 25, and gave himself up for her. So Christ gave himself for the church. So not only did he love her unconditionally, he loved her first, giving her the ability to love him, but he actually gave himself. 
So here in Greek, this love that it's talking about is an active sacrifice. It's not a once and done. It's actively sacrificing. So that means each moment of every day, a husband should be seeking to actively sacrifice himself in love to his wife. That's the kind of love he should show. And you're thinking, wow, this is really starting to get intense, Pastor Bill. Yes, it is. But again, remember the context. Spirit-filled believers. What is impossible with man is possible with God. So the only way that we can fulfill our role as husbands to our wives is when we are spirit-filled men. If we quench the spirit, if we let our anger get the best of us, if we you know, choose not to love because we're not feeling loved, then we're missing out on the blessing of loving even when we're not being loved in return. Doesn't mean that the wife won't love, but this is the command. And the thing is, the, the love that a husband gives should be in line with the wife's love language because not every woman is exactly the same. They're all different. And depending upon which wife you have, you may have to show your love to her in spoken words. You may have to show your love to her in acts of service or the giving of gifts or time or embracing her. So you're going to have to determine what that is as you get to know her, but it doesn't change the command that you're unconditionally to love her no matter what, no matter what she says to you, no matter if she is loving you like she should, whether she's submitting to you like she should, whereas we'll find at the end in verse 33, if she's respecting you as you should, the command is love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I found this quote, which I think is a good example of what that active sacrifice looks like because we know ultimately that Christ gave his life for his bride, for the church. One wife said to her husband, Dear, I know that you're willing to die for me. You have told me multiple times. But while you're waiting to die, could you just fill in some of the time by helping me dry the dishes? See, the thing is, is that it's one thing to say that you're ultimately willing to take and sacrifice yourself for your wife in the big thing, but what about all the little things? See, it's an active sacrifice. It's not waiting for that one moment in time where you may have to, you know, guard your wife and, you know, die in her place. It's, it's all the things that are actively happening each and every moment, each and every day, looking for ways in which you can show an active sacrifice, saying, I'm going to put aside what I would like to do right now so that I can show that love to my wife, just as Christ showed his love for me and my wife and every other Christian that I know. Because it's a, a glorious reflection of a marriage working the way it should. So as Christ loved the church, as Christ gave himself for the church, third, as Christ sanctifies the church. Uh, Take a look at verse 26. 
that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So what is this washing you know, of the word? Well, remember what the word of God is. The word of God is truth. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctifying being that process by which God is continuing to make us holy as he is holy, as the spirit works in and through us, as the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control, all have their good work in and through us each and every day. Well, this call here is that Christ is sanctifying the church. So what does that look like for husbands? Husbands, be men of the word of God. That means you need to be in the word of God yourself. Because just as Christ sanctifies as the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, we must be men of the word so that we can sanctify our wives in the word. To live the word of God out so she can see an example of a godly man living as he should and loving as he should, giving himself sacrificially to his wife. So husbands, be men of the word, leading your wife in the word. That's how that sanctification works, cleansing her by the washing of water with the word. Because as the word of God has its good work in your life, it will have a good effect in her life. It all connects together because, again, as Kurt didn't even ask the question this morning, I expected him to do it. What is the theme of the book of Ephesians? Unity. Unity. There you go. (laughs) Unification in marriage because there is a union that is unbreakable between Christ and the church. He gave himself for her. He is sanctifying her because he loves her unconditionally. He loves her even when she goes off and believes false teachers. He loves her still when she has one foot in the world and one foot in the church. See, the thing is, it it doesn't change because the, the love is unconditional. It is a godly love, and that is the love that men or husbands are called in relation to loving their wives. Fourth, takes us to verse 27. As Christ presents the church. Notice verse 27. So Christ loved the church, gave himself for the church, that he might sanctify her so that... So even with all those prefaces, there is actually a result that is going to happen right here. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. See, Christ is in the process of presenting the church to him in holiness. Now, positionally, the church is holy because Christ is holy and because each and every believer is clothed in Christ's righteousness. But the thing is, is that we're still here. We still have a sin nature that we have to eradicate through submitting to the Spirit and letting the Spirit rework all those things that we used to love into things that we now hate because God hates them and living in light of of every command of Scripture. 
1 John 3, 3 says, And everyone who thus hopes in him, in Christ, purifies himself as he is pure. So even in, individually within the church, each and every believer here this morning, all my brothers and sisters in Christ, myself included, should be seeking to purify ourselves because our Savior is 100% pure. He is holy, holy, holy. And we do that because we love him now. We're not his enemies. Yes, we still struggle with sin, but we should be struggling with sin less and less and less as we submit ourselves to God himself, to the Spirit, to allow the Spirit to work a great and mighty work in and through us each and every day. Paul, as he was writing the letter to the church in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2, he says, I feel a divine jealousy for you, for I betrothed you to one husband. Well, what husband is he talking about? Jesus Christ himself. To present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Now, could Paul make anyone or everyone be pure? No. But he sure can pray for their purity. He can certainly, you know, exhort them to purity. He can call them to examine themselves to purity. He can show them as an example of as he imitates Christ to have them imitate him. Just as we were called to imitate God here in Ephesians. So husbands, seek to present your wife as delightful in the eyes of of her Savior. Let me say that again. Husbands, seek to present your wives as delightful in the eyes of her Savior. Because you have a role to play as the husband, as the leader, as the one who is not only loving and giving and sanctifying, but also one who is seeking to present your bride as the ultimate bride to the ultimate groom of all, Jesus Christ himself. Now, can you yourself superimpose and present your wife? No. But you can, again, set all of the, the things before her to make the ground fertile for that to take place. But see, if you're not loving her as you should, if you are demeaning her, if you are not leading her as you should, if you're not a man in the word, then guess what? It's going to make it nearly impossible for you to present her to the Lord in this way. It's interesting, you know, how the spirit works, but we talked about we walk hand in hand was part of the, you know, how they'll know that we're Christians. I have here in my notes, and, and I, don't, I don't even look at the songs until we sing them on Sunday morning. Walking hand in hand on that narrow way toward heaven as spirit-filled. So again, husbands, you're walking hand in hand. You have a gentle hand embrace. You're not dragging her along. You're holding her hand as you yourself are living the way you're supposed to before God, submitting to God, and therefore leading and fulfilling the role that God has called you to be within the marriage. It will provide a fertile environment for your wife to come along with you and walk hand in hand because she will see the Spirit of God living in and through you in thought, word, and deed. 
Does that mean you're perfect? No. But when you make a mistake, guess what? You, you humble yourself, you confess your sin, and you do it right away. That means that you use a crass word with her because you had a bad day at work and you came home and you let work superimpose itself into your household because you were looking for an outlet and that outlet should never be your wife or your kids. Again, living spirit-filled yourself, walking hand in hand on that narrow way toward heaven as spirit-filled believers so that you can present her without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, holy and without blemish. And lastly, Christ cares for the church, verses 28 to 32. Let's pick it up in verse 28 as I read through verse 32. It says, In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So the interesting thing here is that Paul is actually at the same time teaching two very profound biblical truths. And at times it almost seems as though he's intertwining them and you don't know which one he's talking about. But see, that's how unified a marriage should be between a husband and wife, just as it's shown between Christ and the church. And now he's using a, a metaphor here of the body, you know, Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Now, very few people hate their bodies. Now, we may look at the limitations of it. We may look at, you know, how much it it hurts when we get up, you know, and it's not functioning the way it should. We don't like when we get sick, you know, all those things. But the thing is, is we still continue to, you know, uh, preserve our bodies. You get up every day and you, you feed it food. Okay, maybe not always the right food that you should be feeding it. But still, you, you don't sit and you, you love your body. You take care of it. Uh, and this is the way in which a husband should love his wife. He who loves his wife also loves himself. So as you take care of yourself and love your wife by taking care of yourself then that love that you show for your wife is actually loving yourself. Because God has, you know, so worked out so that there's a blessing in which can be had when we are obedient and do what God commands us to do, that he, again, in turn, gives blessing back. It says here, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. So husbands... You must nourish, which nourish means to sustain or to reassure, and cherish, which means to value or appreciate your wife, remembering the unity of the two becoming one flesh. So all of a sudden, we again see ourselves going back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. You know, what was in the beginning, because marriage belongs to God, it's God's institution like we looked at last time. See, your wife is part of you. You are part of a body, just like you're part of the body of Christ. 
And in each and every member of Ellington Baptist Church's local body of believers, you can't go on hating the rest of the body or hating what, what part you have in this body of believers or hating what the body does for you or think that the body owes you. The thing is, is we love one another because we have the same love from Jesus Christ. Now, what does that look like in the seasons of life? Well, that changes. But what doesn't change is, is that we are part of one body, a body that is bought and paid for with Christ's blood, and therefore we should live in light of that. Sometimes the body's going to malfunction. Hopefully not very often. But the thing is, you remember that we are part of a something bigger than yourself. So husbands, when you say, I do, you have to remember that you're part of something bigger than just yourself. You can't live like you did when you were single. Your world has changed because you've, you've brought someone else into it. Not for you to keep under your foot because she's supposed to submit to you. No, that's not loving. Loving remembers that just like the rib was taken out of Adam's side so that God could give him Eve, you remember that your wife is part of you and therefore part of everything you do. So as you fulfill the role of leader and love like you're supposed to, you're bringing your wife into every aspect. Leadership leads by example. Leadership leads by sacrifice. And so the thing is, is when you decide to do something, you don't just do it because I'm the leader, you know, from the old movie of the Aristocats, it just popped into my head. I'm the leader. I'll say when it's over. Okay? No. One of the, the, the joyful things that I, I, I love doing with Michelle is being able to talk through things so that I, I'm not just making decisions because I know better. No. Oftentimes, my wife knows better than I do. But she's kind and gentle. And so when we come up to a decision in our life, whether it's small or large, in relation to ourselves individually or our family as a whole, I include her in everything before, during, and after. Because again, I can't divorce myself from her. We are one. And so therefore, decisions should be together. The text says there that this mystery that he goes back and forth in verse 32 is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. See, again, going back to that whole picture that we are the bride awaiting our bridegroom's arrival because Jesus is coming again. And in the meantime, we are to remain faithful to that relationship because the marriage is already accomplished. We're just waiting for it to, you know, be realized in time because Jesus paid for his bride. And we're, you can look at it in the, 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 even the New Testament example of that betrothal period where the, the husband is preparing for his wife. Well, Jesus is preparing a place for us. And so the bride is, is awaiting the bridegroom to come to, to take her home, to be one with her. Think about how extensive and comprehensive this mystery is. It's not a mystery to us any longer because Jesus Christ came. He took on flesh. He dwelt among us. So it's not a mystery. 
but it certainly is profound. It's beautiful. And this is the example, men, as I talk to each and every husband here or husbands-to-be, this is the example that God has charged us with in relation to loving our wives. It's a lot. But it's beautiful when it is spirit-led and done the way God commands it to be done. See, there's a divine oneness between Christ and his church and the same in the marriage as well. And Matthew 19, 6 says, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. See, there is one bridegroom, Jesus Christ, and one bride, which is the church. No man is going to separate that union because God himself has formed that union. His seal is on it. And the Spirit isn't going to allow that seal to be broken. And there's a day coming when the bride is going to meet the bridegroom. And it's going to be a glorious marriage supper of the Lamb. So men, I know you're probably going, wow, I shouldn't have come to church today. But I'm glad you did. Is this a high calling as we see five examples as Christ? You know, how can I possibly be Christ to my wife? Well, you can in your own flesh. But you can be Christ to your wife when you're spirit-filled. He loved her. He gave himself for her. He sanctifies her. He presents her to himself, and he cares for the church. She's precious to him, and therefore our wives should be precious to us. And I told you last time that there's going to be a key here as we look at the last one to the husband and wife, which takes us to verse 33. It says there, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So there are two commands here. And Paul, all of a sudden, after showing this dual teaching happening at the same time, showing you two different aspects that really are joined together as one in relation to that mystery and Christ in the church and the husband with the wife in an actual earthly marriage, he brings us back full circle and says, however, each let each one of you, so again, we're going back from the mystery back to the commonplace, and guess what? There is not an excuse in the book. There's not an excuse in your head that will work. It says, however, let each one of you, each one of you, without exception, love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So two things. The love is a command to the husband and the respect is a command to the wife. And these two worked together. Now, yes, earlier the call and command was for wives to submit to their husbands. Well, submitting to their husbands as to the Lord is showing respect to the husband. So these two work together. And it's very easy to see what our spouse needs to do. Oh, I know what my wife needs to do. And she does that, everything's going to be just fine. No. I'm supposed to lead and love and seek to sanctify, seek to present. 
See, each must look at their own individual part. Wives, God is not going to ask you, did your husband love you like Christ, my son, loved the church? He's going to look at you and say, did you respect and submit to your husband as to the Lord? The same is true, the opposite for husbands. See, I believe that these individual uh, commands fulfill what each spouse needs. And I think this is how God has, you know, created women to need love and created men to need respect. So husbands are called to unconditionally love their wives, which, when obeyed, fosters a productive environment for the wife to respond in respect. Now, is that a guarantee? No, but it does provide the environment, the foundation that when you are doing what you are called to do as husbands to your wives, that it actually enables your wife to do what she is commanded to do. Because again, remember, they're unified. You're part of one body. So what you do as part of that one body affects what the other part of the body has. Wives are called to unconditionally respect their husbands, which, when obeyed, fosters a productive environment for the husband to respond in love. Again, because they're unified. So when we do what we are commanded to do, there is blessing. And know this, that even if you do what you're commanded to do and your spouse does not do what he or she is commanded to do, God knows. And God's grace and mercy is new each and every day. Do what you're commanded to do. Do it in a spirit-filled environment because there's blessing when that has happened and that's the only way you're going to be able to do it. Emerson and Sarah, uh, I think their last name is spelled or pronounced Egerich, but you can correct me if, if you've seen it and know better. They have an illustration I think fits well here. It's, you're stepping on my air hose. Imagine that the wife has an air hose that goes to a love tank. She needs love like she needs air to breathe. When her husband stands on her air hose buying a birthday card for their anniversary, she'll react negatively. When the husband sees the spirit of his wife deflate, he should realize he's stepping on her air hose and get off of it. Though she may react in a disrespectful way, she is crying out, I feel unloved by you right now. I can't believe you're doing this to me. Likewise, the husband needs respect, just as he needs air to breathe. He too has an air hose to a tank labeled respect. And if the air is coming through, he is just fine. But he deflates when his wife steps on his air hose by saying things like, you don't care, you are so unloving. If she shows disrespect in an attempt to motivate him to be more loving, it hinders the relationship. Husbands and wives must learn how to recognize when they are stepping on each other's hoses and respond appropriately. When a wife is careful to show respect and obedience to God, her husband will stay connected and teachable. When a husband shows his wife love, her spirit will be reaffirmed, then both will have the air they need to breathe. 
So that gives you a, a, a very good practical example. So don't step on your spouse's air hose because you're only hurting yourself in the process because it does affect, again, one body, unity. What you do affects your spouse, whether positively or negatively. So how is the goal of a Christ-like marriage accomplished? Very simple. Christ must increase and I must decrease. It's a surrendering of self. It is being spirit-filled and not flesh-driven. Because when we're flesh-driven, we're stepping on our spouse's air hose. When we're spirit, we're making sure that, they, that we're giving the love and the respect. And know this too, that the commands are there individually, but you love and respect each other. They're not just mutually exclusive. The commands are there because I believe that, that God commands them because that's what each one needs. Wife love, husband respect. But you love and respect your spouse. Accepting and committing to the roles of the husband and wife toward each other. Husbands assume the leadership role showing love, compassion, mercy, forgiveness, respect, and selflessness as Christ does for the church. Wives submit to that leadership with love, compassion, mercy, forgiveness, respect, and selflessness as unto the Lord. Because again, remember, you are one. The two have become one. And the, the way that a marriage is going to survive is by that constant surrendering of self. And stop superimposing yourself on your spouse, assuming that you can drive them where they need to go because that does not work. But the Spirit can lead them and guide them and even drive them where they need to go. But see, it's a Spirit's work. Your responsibility is to be faithful to what God has commanded you to do individually within the marriage, realizing that it affects the whole marriage. Let's bow for a closing word of prayer. Gracious Father, Lord, we thank you for the truths here that as we are taking a look specifically at marriage and uh, between a man and a woman. Uh, Father, uh, we know that even still we can take the example of submission, of love, of seeking to be sanctified, purity, to present ourselves before you are also part of our submission to you as individual believers, even within the church. So this is, these principles are applicable even to each and every believer here, whether they're a husband or a wife or not. Um, so, Father, help us to see the importance of living in light of who we are in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.